Welcome to the Rural Woman Podcast, a platform for women in agriculture, ranching, homesteading, and more to share their stories. I'm your host, Caitlin Dubin. This week's episode of the Rural Woman Podcast is brought to you by our newest patron, Rachel P. Join Rachel and the rest of the patron gang in supporting the stories of women in agriculture to be shared through the Rural Woman Podcast on Patreon. With your financial support of the Rural Woman Podcast, you ensure that the stories that have either inspired you, motivated you to try something new on your farm, ranch, or homestead, or heck, even just made you a little misty, continue to be shared through your earbuds each and every week. Head on over to wildrosefarmer.com and learn more about how you can become a patron through Patreon. Hey everyone, thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the Rural Woman Podcast. On this week's episode, you'll hear the much-anticipated part two of my interview with Anessa Good. Anessa is an agriculture transition specialist at Farm Credit Canada, where she helps people start the transition conversation, giving them the resources and tools to work towards goals that keep their operations viable and sustainable. So make sure if you didn't hear part one of our interview, you head back to episode 67 and tune in. You're not going to want to miss a minute of all of the tips, wisdom, and advice that Anessa has to share with us. As I mentioned in the previous episode, the questions that are being asked in today's episode, as well as the previous episode, came from the ladies over in the Rural Women Podcast community group. So if you guys are a fan of the show and want to be in community with some other awesome people, you can head on over to Facebook and join the group simply by searching the Rural Women Podcast community, or you can check out today's show notes for a direct link to the group. Before we get to today's episode, we will go over our review of the week. This week's review comes from Awoken Permaculturist via Apple Podcasts in Australia. The five-star rating and review is titled Inspirational. What a fantastic podcast and inspirational to be able to listen to other women who farm, work in agriculture, or live in rural areas. I love hearing about other people's journeys and new ideas. Episode 39 with Nicole Masters on regenerative egg is a must. Thank you from Australia. Well, thank you so much for your kind rating and review over on Apple Podcasts. And I have to say, I really like Australian accents, maybe more than my Canadian one. And I, uh, it was very hard for me not to read it in an Australian accent, but nobody wants to hear that. <laughs> so if you guys have been loving the show, make sure you leave a rating and review wherever you listen to the show and you will hear your kind words on an upcoming episode. And without further ado, my friends, let's get to part two of Anessa Good's interview. So let's talk more about children and siblings on a farm. So this question says, how does a family navigate a situation where what is fair in terms of distribution of assets, money, responsibility, etc., is not equal amongst the siblings. And it goes on to say, especially when some siblings want nothing to do with the farm or business, but want what they feel they are entitled to. Yeah, that's definitely one of the elephants in the room, right? So I appreciate that question. They said fair and not equal from the start because I refuse to say equal in any of my consultations because it'll never work out. 
on an Excel spreadsheet, obviously. And because main things is we have to remember family farms are family. Everything is personal. So even though we're talking about an Excel spreadsheet or a mathematical distribution, there's a lot of background within that, right? And emotional tolls. So this is the hardest part of the estate planning portion for sure. So really what it comes down to is I have a tendency to lean towards a lot of proper business structure planning because we can talk about this stuff. It's hard to talk about. I struggle with it with my own parents and we're both, you know, in this field. It ain't easy. But if we have some structure to help structure those conversations, then I find it can help. One of the first ones for sure is one of my favorite quotes that I try to remember when I'm talking with my families is perception is reality, facts are negotiable. So from your side of the table, you have to remember something may seem so black and white, like this is a fact. However, it's perception is reality because we're a family brand business. So one of the things I really focus on again is equity. Can't forget about sweat equity on the farm, right? Uh, that's not a new or sexy thing. But the problem is for generations, we haven't properly tracked it or accounted for it, or we haven't properly written it down. So going back to my going to keep harping, write things down, that's one of the biggest things. So if I have a second generation coming home, and this will all lead into how it's fair at the end, if I have a second generation coming home, I have formula that I really like. And it's how do we recognize and appreciate the value that you are bringing to the business, you and your spouse, all of these things. So the value is cash plus cash equivalent plus equity. So what I'm trying to get across there is, for example, when I moved back to the family farm and our succession planning business, left downtown Calgary, what my parents could afford to pay me as cash as a salary I thought, oh my God, I'm going to be an itchy band till I die. <laughs> like, it was a big hit, right? But the powerful conversation that I had with my parents was they went, whoa, whoa, we need to recognize and appreciate what the farm is. So I think that's step one. We're thinking that the off-farm children feel entitled, but we got to look in the mirror as well. And so we need to look at the cash equivalents that we're getting being the farm child. Because this comes up. I have often to bring it up all the time in my meetings. You got to live rent-free. You got to live at a reduced rent. You drove the farm truck to town when you got groceries. had nothing to do with the farm. So I don't want it to be a negative conversation, but needs to be a conversation. And for any of you that have younger kids coming home in their 20s, I really want this emphasized because you don't know what you don't know. So add up. That's what we did. Every time I used the horse trailer just for fun to go ride the mountain, and we made it kind of a fun conversation, my horse hay, what I pay for it if I did pay for it, right, what it would be in the city. So when I added up those two equations of my salary on the farm plus all the subsidies that I'm getting, I actually equaled what I was making in downtown Calgary in oil and gas, which blew my mind because when I just looked at my bank account, <laughs> it didn't match, right? But again, recognition and appreciation is greater than return on assets. 
in a family burial. But the last part that's really important about that formula, value is cash plus cash equivalence plus equity. So what I'm saying here is let's say the farm says your value is 60, for example, but we're paying you cash of 40. We're not counting the cash equivalence. That was just for a conversation of recognition and appreciation. So there's 20,000 a year outstanding, right? That can be tracked and I want it tracked and that equity goes towards future land ownership, operational cattle, for example. And this is how we go back to our off-farm siblings and say, okay, we've tracked this for five years. 20,000 times five years is a hundred grand. I get a hundred grand off the asking price of quarter A, for example. And I like to treat it like the NFL or the NHL, you get a signing bonus. So as parents, again, you have oodles of equity. We can double that number to 200,000, right? Because time value of money, you've waited to be paid. Also, we can convert those into preferred shares to enter a company. It's important to remember preferred shares are a fixed value, and so they are not subject to the matrimonial property rules in Alberta because they're a fixed value. Common shares, when we look at bringing the second generation into the business, growth shares, so a lot of times we give those to the second generation because they're going to grow the business, but just remembering that those are divisible. So why I want all this stuff tracked is because for years we have the generational scars of mom and dad gave farming child the farm. That has to be the most painful sentence in our communities, right? Because you know you busted your butt for it. You probably paid X amount for it. And it's just this culture we have. So I'm trying to get ahead with proactive tracking, square up the books so we can have a civilized mathematical discussion when it comes down to why did the child get all the company shares or X amount of land left to them. And then again, we have to recognize, right? Like most of the families I sit with, the off-farm children are getting land because the parents feel the inheritance discretion is too large, right? And so again, slowing it down, like Caitlin, what are we measuring? Like what's the impact? Is it fair market value, which is a crazy number that someone's willing to pay, or is it productive value? Because when parents sit down with me, they're trying to level out their estate, and I'll just go back to my area, a quarter is 800000 And I say, okay, but as a farmer, I can only make productively 350000 There's $450,000 of, I call it monopoly money, right? Unless the farm kid sells the land, which is the big concern. And there's ways we can wrap that up, but I've been talking a long time. <laughs> Honestly, all of that is so good. And I'm just like taking it in bit by bit. I'm like, this is good. And I just know the ladies are like <laughs> writing down as many notes as they possibly can because that, honestly, that evaluation of just breaking it down, cash plus equity, like it makes sense. And it makes sense to track this. And like we're going back to, writing these things down because in the future when then generation comes we're going to look back and see how much your sweat equity was worth when you got the farm versus when then next generation is going to get the farm so i mm-hmm. think having these notes and this information provides so much value for your operation 
Yeah. And so I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about land going to offer kids right now or if you want to go to the next step, but that's a big one. Yeah, let's go and move into that because that also is a big trigger for some people and especially the on-farm kids knowing that their brother or sister is getting this piece of land that they've been farming for however long and then all of a sudden when the will is read, their brother or sister Mm -hmm. gets this land instead. Yep. 100%. So one of the things I have come up with over my time, and it's a little intense, but it gets the point across, I think. So it's unspoken expectations are the silent killers of family farms. Hard stop. That's what I believe to my I want you to say that one more time. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Unspoken expectations are the silent killers of family farms. That is so, so good. what do you expect? What do you expect of your child? What do you expect of your spouse? What do you expect of your off-farm children, right? So when we keep looking to when we open that will and we find out, to me, that is when we are just causing these generational scars. We need to be doing the scary, proactive thing and talking about this in advance, right? And I'm a firm believer that in my 20s or 30s or whatever, I don't need to know if quarter A is going to my off-farm sister. I believe that it doesn't need to be, and I differ from somebody on that, just want to make that clear. As the child, I don't need to know that information because things change, right? I usually start off my presentations by putting Lion King up on the screen and saying everything the light touches, someday this will be yours. That is what the parents tell the farm child all the time, right? That mentality. And then, oh, yeah, by the way, we're splitting this farm up. So to try and get ahead of that, I don't need to know that my off-farm sister is getting quarter A, but we do need to be having a conversation that, you know, as of right now, we're probably going to be leaving land to your off-farm sister. And then I have the chance to decide, am I going to have a financially viable business to move home take over the farm and raise a family. Because when I drive home after my meetings and cry on the way home, it's when I'm sitting with 40 and 50 year olds that are coming to the realization that they no longer have a financially viable business because of how that will was distributed. So I need to know in advance. That's my goal, right? And so to get a little bit more cheery, how do we make this work? What are some of the strategies for sure? So if we are leaving land to an off-farm child, the thing I want to talk about is transferring land while alive because we're talking a lot about how do we transfer it in a will, right? So there's a couple things we need to think of from the parent's perspective because as a farming generation, we want this land transferred pre-will. So the first D is divorce. Like I alluded to earlier, the parents are concerned, what happens if I transfer this? And obviously there's a divorce. The second D is disposition. I transfer this land to my generation and they turn around and sell it on me. The third D is debt. I transfer this land to my child at less than fair market value. They can still turn around and put a lot of risk on it at a creditor, risk losing it. The fourth D is death. We don't talk about this enough either and I really encourage the listeners to sit down and have some of these hard conversations. Child dies first, now what? 
a lot of times in trends, we talk a lot about if mom and dad pass away in a car accident, right? And the fifth D, I said, okay, that's fine. But from my viewpoint, as the younger generation, I'm saying, okay, mom and dad, what about dementia, disease, disability? What happens when you are cognitively not you? Because the stress and anxiety when I'm waiting for the will to be read is, yeah, you promise that I'm going to get this amount of land to have a financially viable business, but what happens with dementia, right? Things change. So that's where a lot of angst comes from. So then we look at different ways to transfer land while alive. One of the ones I really like is called Life Estate and Remainder Man Interest. And what it's commonly used for is home quarters, where if you have both generations living on the same place, that's definitely not as common anymore. So we're starting to use it for home quarters, regardless of which generation lives on it and or bare land and as well. Because there's always the concern and there's nothing, I want to make clear, nothing out in the news or anything to put this as a concern today, but there's always the question mark, what if the family farm rollover provision is capped? And what that means is being able to transfer land to the next generation without having a huge tax on in the United States, for reference, I believe they have a cap of $11.5 million per person. So, I mean, that's still a lot when you think of a marriage, but the government can always come in and cap. So, how do we transfer some of this land while alive? So, a life estate remainder man interest, the concern is, and I encourage you, if you are set up this way, to speak to your lawyer. The concern is with joint tenancy when it's parent-parent-child. Joint tenancy still works great spouse to spouse, but uh, you can talk to your lawyer about the PECOR, P-E-C-O-R-E, PECOR versus PECOR case, and I won't go into too much detail, but there's just been uh, some cases and challenges with that of land or property being left parent-parent-child. So life estate and remainder man interest gets around that. It is effectively... It's, it always blows my mind. I try to get both generations exactly what they want at the same time. So it's pretty sweet. From the seniors' generation, they're the life estate holder. So mom and dad, grandma and grandpa, for example. They are guaranteed the right to use enjoyment of property and occupancy for life plus income for life. So rent, anything like that. So if they do live on property, whether it be a bear quarter or the home quarter, they get to stay in that house for as long as they want. They're guaranteed to come for life. And my grandpa, he's a grumpy old German, loved him. He said, I don't feel like I'm trespassing on my land. It's important, right? That mental piece is huge. The remainder man interest is the second generation, the younger individuals. And they are guaranteed ownership today. So am I going to be more excited to go out and paint some corrals or fix up a tin roof and put investments if I know I own it today? Absolutely. And it really locks down some of those five Ds, which I talked about, creating the parents feeling a lot more at ease. And obviously, I won't go into too much of the technical detail right now, but I just encourage you guys to talk to your accountants and talkers and transition advisors, like what's out there that we can play with to try to alleviate 
some of these concerns. Yeah, sorry, I keep talking. <laughs> no, it's good. Honestly, it's so encouraging to know that there are just so many different ways to do this. It's not like black and white, like you said. There's so many other options and different things out there now than, let's say, there was in our parents' generation because, you know, mm-hmm. probably back that was when the will was read and then that's when you figured out what was viable for you after that and whether it's going to work or not. And now we have the opportunity to figure this all out while everybody's living and healthy and make it more of a smooth transition and a smooth transaction. Yeah, and it's not going to be fun. Like, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. There's a reason a lot of people leave it to where they don't have to deal with it anymore, right, in a will. I want to be careful saying this, but I call it the chicken will. I leave everything to my wife or I leave everything to my husband, right? And I really think we need to slow things down and say, is that really what I want to do to my significant other? Also, who is the power of attorney? I have that conversation a lot with my customers. Is it just an off-farm child? Do they understand what it takes and costs to run a business? Is it just the farm child? Because that might be seen as one side. Yeah, just slowing things down. Just keep saying that. You have heard me tell you all about the amazing benefits that come with being a patron of the Rural Woman Podcast through Patreon, but I wanted to share with you a few testimonials from the patron gang themselves. Patron Marina writes, I decided to become a patron of the Rural Woman Podcast because I felt a deep connection to all of these women. Being new to the agricultural world, I didn't have a lot of knowledge about other aspects of the egg world. This podcast opens my eyes to how women near and far grow and succeed in their roles. It makes me feel like I'm part of a bigger picture and I feel as if I have the support of all of these women as I support this podcast and in return, sharing their beautiful stories. Join Marina in supporting the stories of women in agriculture through the Rural Woman podcast starting at $2 a month on Patreon. Visit wildrosefarmer.com slash Patreon to learn more. about one more big elephant in the room and that's about wills. Yes, probably the biggest elephant. (laughs) Right. Who needs one? Why do we need one? And tell us the benefits and why we need a will. (laughs) Everyone needs one. I believe absolutely. Like it absolutely shocked me. I haven't been as shocked again in my Southern Alberta demographic that people don't have one versus some other places in the country, but it is very, very, very out of date. The amount of wills we talk about that say divide by three, divide by four, and the farming child in their 40s traumatizes me. So we really need to say, if I passed away tomorrow, am I going to be happy with what legacy I left my children, right? And then the thing that shocks me next is, okay, we're getting mom and dad, grandma and grandpa figured out, but the amount of 20, 30, 40-year-olds that I sit down with that have equity and have these things and don't have a will. So I am a big promoter of recognizing that wills are meant to be updated. I know it's costly, but it's that classic return on investment. Write the will as if it was read tomorrow, 
And in transition planning, your will is going to look differently five to ten years from now because the farming child, for example, has put in five to ten more years of work. And what is that on the scale of earning, right? So I'm totally okay if the will is more divide by three or divide by four if the son's only been home a year or the daughter. I am not okay when that's year 40, right? So recognizing they're meant to be updated. And then in our wills, I think people forget, again, it's such an opportunity to be creative and you can rule from the grave, which people forget about, which has major pros and cons. Absolutely. But what I'm trying to say there is if we are leaving land to an off-farm child in a will, we can create a condition that they agree to a lease agreement. Leases aren't new and sexy, but they haven't been clear, so they've been abused over time. So in leases, it breaks my heart when I see a will that says, Susie will lease back to her farming sibling. How long? At what rate? You know, everyone talks about greed. I call it grief. I think a lot more bad decisions and words that should never have been spoken come from a place of grief over greed. And so we really need to, again, set them up for success. Uh, Use a crop insurance index, for an example, as a way to set the rate. We can set a longer time period, for example, 10 years, to give the farming child a chance to build up, to purchase it off his sibling. Another one that's quite powerful, which, again, I'm giving very high-level examples. You really need to work with your technical advisors on all of these, please, is a control mortgage. So this one's kind of sneaky, but it's got merit. So what it is saying, as parents, I know in my will, if I pass away in a car accident tomorrow, I'm leaving the majority of the land to my farming child. However, I can't sleep at night because if they ever choose to sell their children, so my grandchildren, will be millionaires, for example, and my off-farm children, they're trying to make a living getting by, right? That is why the land gets divided up usually. So what a control mortgage does is you place a mortgage on specific quarters and put that mortgage into a discretionary family trust. In that trust, all of your children are beneficiaries. So it's majorly things down. It says, if the farming child breaks the covenant and sells land, within a set time period after the will has been written, so you can't rule from the grave forever, for example, 10 years, a portion of proceeds goes to the off-farm children. So it's really saying, hey, if you sell out, you got to pay your off-farm siblings. And most farm children are okay with that, right? Because they have no intention of selling out, they're going to keep farming the land. There's a lot of technical things that need to be talked about there. I want to stress that, but it's just, Saying like, hey, we can slow things down and be creative. For sure. I think yeah. that's the theme of this whole episode is be slow and be creative. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And don't be vague. <laughs> yes, exactly. Be very specific. So one last question that I wanted to bring up was thoughts on using trust to protect land passed down from generations. Yeah, I'd be interested to know if that was a... American question. Uh, Oh, was it? That was from my American friends. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So trusts are much more commonly used in the United States. Uh, They're a more powerful tool. 
In Canada, trust, they expire after 21 years. So that's probably one of the biggest why, you know, if we're trying to set up this long-term legacy to carry on down the generation. In Canada, we've got a 21-year hard stop. So I am not, that's definitely working with your technical advisors on the trust. An article, I might be a little biased, was recently put out by my dad, Merle, in the country guide, and he was really addressing this, saying, how can we in Canada start trying to replicate what the trusts do in America, because they're powerful down there. And so he's playing around with some options for partnerships between farming children and off-farming children and things like that. And so it's complicated. I'm not educated enough on that yet, but for sure. That's very good. And I will post a link to your dad's article in the show notes. People can go back and check it out and see where all of this goodness started from <laughs> That wasn't even meant to be a pun, but it totally is a pun. <laughs> oh, Anessa, you are a wealth of knowledge when it comes to this. And I am so, so happy that I was able to hear you speak and able to connect with you and build this relationship with you. It has been such an honor to get to know you more. Oh, right back after you. Absolutely. I'm so excited. And, you know, as a young woman in the industry, I think it's just, oh, I love what you're doing and get very excited. And I want to end, like, I know it seems overwhelming and it seems scary, but I do what I do because I get so much passion for watching people in the room. Like, okay, we can do this. Right. And I want to make sure every family knows, like, you can do this. You can get through this. And clarity is the biggest thing. Maybe it won't be the utopia answer that you were hoping for, but having clarity just brings so much peace, right? And so Absolutely. I'm very excited for all the families out there. Yes, for sure. For my listeners who would like to connect with you after the show, where can they find you online? Yeah, absolutely. So I have recently started a little social media. So it's Transition Tales and Trails. I know it's a little confusing, but it's me telling stories while I travel over Canada. So Tales and Trails. And then as well, uh, just really want to stress that for like who I work for, Farm Credit Canada, they have great advisors set up across the country. You do not have to be an FCC customer. So call in to any of your local offices and they can set you up. I'm also at FCC, so for sure you can find me easy for any information on this. That is great. And I will post all of those in the show notes so people can find you and connect with you. Perfect. Thank you so much for sharing your story and your wisdom today on the Real Woman <laughs> Podcast. Thank you so much for the opportunity. It was, it was fun. Thanks for listening to the Rural Woman Podcast. For show notes, head on over to wildrosefarmer.com. You can stay connected with me on Instagram at wildrosefarmer. If you love the show, make sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Plus, share it with a friend. We'll see you next time.